What's a battery backwards, right? There, I believe I got it fixed. Thank you. Here's a note uh, from Lynn and Deb Mikowski that says to our church family, thank you for all the prayers, phone calls, and cards that came our way. Our family and church family means a lot to us. God bless each one of you. God bless each one of you for your prayers. And uh, it's good to have you here, Debbie and Lynn. And any of the other of uh, those of you who uh, maybe have been away or have been sick or whatever and are able to be here today, we welcome you. And also just want to say welcome to those who will watch this service uh, through video or on the Internet. You're here. And we're glad you're here, even though you're not here. We... We, we uh, welcome you to this time together as well. This is the Lord's Day. We're in the Lord's house, so let's worship the Lord. Uh, Becky, could you come and I believe you're going to lead us in some opening music today. Good morning. (laughs) I think we can open our service this morning by standing up and uh, awakening our bodies as we can awaken our mind in just praise of our Savior.
for a second there. <laughs>
pray together. Lord, I think of the passage in your scripture that says that your son came into this world, came to the, to the group of people that he was genetically connected with, his own race, his own people, came to them, but they did not receive him. But then your word goes on to say, but as many as did receive him, to those who believed on His name, gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of human descent or of a husband's will, but born of God. We're excited to ponder that, to realize that there is about us and about our nature and given to our possibility. Something that's beyond just the mere human capacity, beyond the genetic code, beyond the, the human social construct. We are born again, as you explained to Nicodemus. We are born of, the, of water and the flesh, but we are born of the Spirit. And this is a birth of change. This is an implantation of a new nature. This is a, a, a completely differing, of per, a different perspective that is given to us. We put off the old. We put on the new. And though we may struggle with that process all our life, the reality has been set in concrete. It has been done. It has been finished. Even at the cross when Christ was there accomplishing it, He Himself said about this victory, about this triumph of your life and your forgiveness over our fallenness, he said, it is finished. And we receive that and we accept that. We believe that and we live that out today. Even when we struggle, we struggle in the application. We struggle in the interpretation and the institution of that which has already been done. But we know that in your, from your position, from your, from, from your perspective, all that, as the song said, all that heaven could give us, it has already given didn't hold anything back, but you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son, your one and only, and whoever believes on Him can have everlasting life and will not have to perish. We thank you today for that message of hope. We come today as your sons and daughters. We come uh, to even use the symbols that you gave to us in your name to, to reenact, to remember what you did for us. 
and what it means to us. Lord, the universe is filled with so many different uh, amazing features and factors and considerations and forces. And they seem like they swirl around and we uh, are pulled sometimes by this idea or by that image or uh, a piece of knowledge or a picture of a galaxy or something that makes us realize that this is a vast place and that our world and the the people comprise a, a vast confluence of ideas, of images, of experiences, of possibilities and opportunities. But among and above this, this swirling reality of our world and our universe, beyond it, separate from it, You have created it and You are in control of it. And You have given to this world Your Son. As Your Word tells us, that he, He's the glue that holds it together. He's the image of what is invisible, made visible for us. We come here to worship and to believe and to ask for the help and the healing and strength, the joy and the peace and the patience and the, and the peacefulness that comes from when we, when we trust Him. We thank You for the privilege and opportunity to do that today. We lift up to You our needs, our burdens, and pray, Lord, that even today You will... You will you will meet those, that you will come and come close to us and visit us. And where we're ignorant, that you would shed your light upon us. And where we're sick, that you would dispense your healing to us. Where we're afraid or where we're lonely or where we are, uh, feel so ignorant or overwhelmed, that you will come to us with the comfort of your presence nearby, with your power and your protection where we are afraid. So that we can leave here say, saying, In a way, I'm still the same person, but in another way, I'm not at all the same person because I'm wrapped up in the love and the power of my mighty Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Just greet somebody before you sit down, wave to them, shake, shake their hand, whatever you need to do to let them know that you're glad that they are here today. Wave down from the balcony. Um, do we have any children who would like to come up here for a moment to the front seat? No, Tina, you're too old. I'm sorry. But the, if there's some other children would like to come. Do you know what do you know what a hummingbird is? Some of you do. Can you tell us like what what I mean it's a bird. But what is what is neat or you, about a hummingbird? Okay. Their wings go very fast. Here's a picture of one. In fact, their wings flutter so fast that they make a sound. I, I guess this is why we call them a hummingbird, 
They make a sound that's like... Can't do it. It's almost like a humming. I guess that's where... And they love flowers. You see, they have a long bill. They drink the nectar. That's right. They go way down in the flower with their bill. And they find that little sweet juice that the flower has. Now... That's yeah. That's how come we can't do that? Well, we don't have a long enough of a bill, I think. Now, oh, I'm sorry. Well, bees can do that, but so can hummingbirds. In fact, there's one kind of hummingbird that's called a bumblebee hummingbird, because they are also very tiny, like a bee. They're bigger than a bee, but they're smaller than a lot of birds. In fact, they're so small that they don't weigh hardly anything. And I want to show you a picture of one sitting on her nest. Now, you can't really tell much about that nest. You can't really tell what size it is in the picture. But I'm going to show you another picture that you can tell. She's sitting up there perched on a thr- like on a throne. But look at this picture. There are two eggs. And you can see by that person's finger how small they are. Take a look at that. Do you know what a pea? Do you know what a pea is? Uh, you know how big a pea is, like you eat from the garden. A hummingbird egg is just about the size of that pea, maybe a little bit bigger. Look at that nest. You can see from the fingers how small that nest is. Now, my friend Lynn Wilkinson uh, brought a nest in today that I want to show you. This is a real, actual hummingbird's nest. And it is so cool, and there's two things I want to show you about it. Number one, is it pretty tiny? It is very tiny, isn't it? No, there's no eggs in this one. But how do they fit in there? Well, I will tell you a secret. They use spider's web. You know spider webs that hang around? They, they're sticky and they, and super sticky. Okay, they collect them with their beak. They gobble them up, and then they weave them into their nest. And they also use them to fasten their nest to the branch. Can you see the spider webs there? Can you see them? But they weave them into this when they're building it, and that makes it flexible. So as their baby birds grow and get bigger, the nest can expand out and it doesn't break because they weave. Can you see the spider webs? They, they, they literally pull them off of the wall or where they're hanging and they weave them real fast in and out. Yeah, sometimes maybe they just invite the spider to live there and say, you make the nest, you, you, make, the, you make the web and I'll use it. That is so soft on the inside because they get the little seeds from thistles and things like that that are very soft and they wouldn't weave it in here. But here's the other reason I want to show it to you. You know, a lot of trees have things called lichens that grow on them, right? Do you know what a lichen is? Well, some of you, I like them, and some of you, I don't like them. No, a lichen is a little tiny, sort of like a plant, And they grow on the bark of trees and places. And that's what these are. You see these little, you see those little rough things? 
Those little white and dark and green that's covered on the outside. Those, those are lichens. Now, why did the hummingbird pull those lichens off of the tree? You see these lichens all over the outside? Why did it pull it off the tree and put it on its nest? Why would it do that? You don't know. The what? To make it stronger. Well, that's a good guess, but it's not really. There's another reason. It's so that another animal will just think that's part of the tree. In a way, it is part of the tree. Hey, shh, listen. They, they take one part of the tree, pull it off, and put it on their nest so that it looks just like the rest of the tree. And by doing that, they camouflage it so that a cat that might be walking by that tree or some other predator, another bird, they don't even know it's there. They don't know it's there because the hummingbird wants to keep its baby safe and it will tie that nest into the tree with a material that no wind can blow off of it. Hey, can you listen for a moment? It, can tie, it ties that in here? Well, listen. Then why don't you go back? You're, are you ready to go back? Okay, then let me finish. Okay, uh, they love their little babies so much that they make, they really, they really take care of them. And where do you think that love and that care of a hummingbird for its little tiny, little tiny babies, where do you think it gets it? Where does it come from? From God. He puts it in their hearts just like He puts it in your mom and dad's hearts and all of our hearts. Take care of our young children. But He, and a spider takes care of its babies too. Okay, listen, I think we've done enough damage. You may go back to your moms and dads. That's a pretty cool thing though. We're singing? We're going to sing a hymn. If you would turn to 186, we will be singing the old rugged cross. I think we can stand for this one too.
Thank you. You may be seated. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. And the different uh, things listed out beyond that are simply implications of the fact that we as a sheep, as a dependent, created being, come to the Lord, lean on the Lord, expect from the Lord the guidance we need, the protection we need, and all the different things that we need from life. And so this is a very beloved psalm, and we're looking at different phrases of it. The phrase that I want us to think about today in verse 4 uh, is somehow I'm not catching it, Greg. In verse 4 is the one which says, uh, that there is a threat that we face. And because we face it, we fear it in many ways, in many times, many circumstances. But we don't have to because the Lord is our shepherd. I uh, got a text from my family at home this week that uh, a high school teacher of mine, physics and chemistry, had died. He was in his, he was in his 90s. Of all the teachers that I've ever had, including college and many different professors and many different programs. I think this guy was my favorite instructor, uh, my favorite teacher. We just called him Doc. He had been a research chemist, and he had, been a, uh, he had worked in a lab. And uh, he stepped away from that and decided to teach high schoolers uh, the connection of the chemistry and the physics of life. But his interest was always, as he always said, I'm not here to mainly try to teach you what to think, but how to think. I don't care if you learn formulas. If you learn how to think, you can figure out the formulas. I loved him. He was just a great guy. He had a, a beautiful daughter who was my classmate of mine and Cindy's, and we were very good friends. In fact, I had a kind of a crush on her for a while. And uh, I was thinking of her when I got this news that her father had died. And uh, so Cindy looked up his obituary <clears throat> and we were really both shocked as we read his obituary to find that his daughter our classmate has been dead for 25 years and we didn't know we didn't realize that she had passed away when she was in her 30s death is death is a foreigner it comes it strikes it leaves behind loss and grief. And it also takes the person, and I was thinking all day yesterday, I just continued to think of this, this guy, my teacher, but also my friend from high school, and <clears throat> just thought so often yesterday of the thought of her. I wonder what caused her death. I wonder what death was like for her. I wonder how she handled it at that young age, and so forth. Um, we know that death takes people away. But we, apart from the glimpses that we have here, we don't know much beyond that because death in itself is an unknown 
region or an unknown reality to us. And and so, you know, we often associate the unknown, the fearful, the silent removal by death of someone with darkness. As this verse says, the valley of the shadow. It seems as if this specter hangs over our life, this shadow hangs over our life as human beings, that uh, we're going to die, that everyone we know and love is going to die. And as we understand it, especially as we experience it more by the loss of friends and family member and so forth, then a statement such as this gives to us becomes more powerful and becomes more um, precious as well. That even though I look into the valley or even though I walk into the valley myself, I'm not afraid. That, that is saying a whole lot. That's quite a mouthful. And uh, there's, there's so much hope and so much joy in that statement. <clears throat> We're familiar with this phrase. We've read it and we use it. The valley of the shadow of death many times. What is a valley? Let's just talk about that for a moment. What, why would the reality of death be symbolized or pictured using the image of a valley? It says that we pass through. So that's why I say it's a place of passage. It's not a final destination, which is certainly a hopeful and a, and a beautiful and a wonderful thing for us. But... Uh, a valley that is dark or a valley that seems as if to us that if we go in there in that place, it's death and we'll never come out uh, so, and so forth, seems to be a, a place that it, it's just you can hear the, the music, the somberness, the foreboding note of the music. Several things about a valley. Of course, a valley by definition is... As, as an enclosure. A valley has sides going up. A valley is between hills. So, a valley is confining. To call death or to use the image of a valley with death speaks to us that we cannot escape it. We have to go through, that we have to squeeze through this passage. We have to enter this tunnel. And, and we can't break loose. We can't, you know, do some kind of a of a, of a move that gets us around it. We can't dance away from it. There's a confining nature that all of mankind is funneled into this valley. And the idea of a valley or the reality of a valley is that it's deep. It's, it's, it's not simply a shallow depression in the topography. It is a deep cut. And there we're stuck, confined by and trapped by the sides around the valley. If it's a valley of shadow, then it's also a dark place. And so a darkness for us uh, limits our visibility. So we wonder what's there. Um, Is there some nasty surprise waiting for me when I step into this place where it's dark? That's why we turn on lights. That's why we wait till daylight to do certain jobs. Because we're not equipped for the darkness. We, We don't operate well in shadows. So if, if the light wasn't falling here where I could see my notes, I'll probably move my notes because we need the light. We, we, we want the light so that we can know exactly what we have, what we're dealing with. And so if it's a place of shadow, 
then its, its, its visibility is limited. But he calls it not just a deep valley or not just a dark valley. He calls it, at least in, this, uh, in most translations, valley of death. Now, basically that's a concern to us as human beings because we just don't know what death means. We don't know what death does. We don't know what all is lurking there behind the door of death. Again, only the only clues we have and the only information we have is from this book. And, uh, and there's a few things there, but man, we wish there could be a lot more so that we understood and had a, a clearer light. But we don't. That's why it's darkness. That's why we, we feel uh, so ignorant in the place of death and utterly clueless. Um, many people, not many, I don't believe many, but some people believe that death is the end of our existence as human beings. We're just annihilated. We're done. We're finished. We'll never exist again. We'll never be around again. I don't think very many people actually truly, deeply, in actuality, believe that. But apparently some do. At least they say they do. Well, that's quite concerning. None of us want to just be snuffed out and have our existence brought to an end. Uh, that seems like a terrifying thought to us. And uh, But I'm just simply saying from the fact that people disappear and they never come back, we wouldn't know any different. We wouldn't know at all where they went or what happened or uh, if there's any hope that be beyond that. So in that sense, this calling this valley the valley of death is certainly something that concerns us and very... Uh, and, very much captures our attention. Um, I, I want to just note one thing about the translation of this. Different translations might differ uh, a, a bit. The NIV, I think, gives a footnote that calls it, it says it's a possibility it could be called a valley as dark as death or a very dark valley, something like that. And I just I want to take just one moment to make a statement. <clears throat> uh, it's a two-part word in the Hebrew text. It's a two-part word. The first part is this word tzela, which uh, is, is sometimes translated ribs. Adam lost a tzela when God created Eve. The, the, the ribs make up the enclosure around our body, around our internal organs. So you can see some of the translations in the Old Testament. Here's some of the different ways that particular word is translated. Um, a valley... Uh, is, is opposite sides, like a rib cage is the opposite sides of an enclosure. So that's part of the word. The other word, the other part of it is the word that is only translated as death or dead. It can be noun or verb. And, uh, and it's definitely all about death. And so here, used 18 times in the Old Testament, is the actual word in verse 4. Tzalmawet. It means... There's the translations that it's translated in, in our Old Testament. I think that's the New International Version. But you see there some variation, but it's a combination of the word dead or death with something about the enclosing, confining passageway. Whether you call it a plank, a side, a rib, a valley, whatever you call it, that's the idea. That even when I'm squeezed into the tunnel or the funnel of death. I am not afraid. I fear no evil. That's a, that's a powerful statement. 
So, he says, he uses the word through. Dying is a journey, not a destination. This is the implication of using the word through. He doesn't say, even when I go into the valley of the shadow of death, but it's when I pass through, and that's a very definite part of the construction of the grammar. When I pass through this valley... You know, uh, about a week ago, Cindy and I were uh, privileged to go to a funeral service, a memorial service of Lonnie Whitmer, which would be Sylvia Clement's brother. And some of you knew Lonnie. I believe he was around around 50, or in his 50s perhaps, he passed away. Lonnie was handicapped through his life in uh, maybe a number of different ways. But he never spoke. He He, he just never talked. And uh, and so you always had to wonder a lot of things about Lonnie, about what he was thinking. Uh, you could ask him questions, and sometimes, I mean, he would nod. He would say yes or no with his head, but he never said anything. And you know, one of the jo- one of the joys of that service was to see how that family, Lonnie's family, looked at the death of Lonnie as the passage into a better place where Lonnie can now talk. And he can express himself, or perhaps he can sing. He liked music. He would take a guitar and strum it till the till the chords till the strings fell off. He 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 loved music, but he couldn't express it. And rather than that family sitting around saying, "Oh, poor Lonnie, we're so sad Lonnie's gone. What are we going to do? Where where is Lonnie at?" That family has a confidence with this verse and this image of the scripture to say. Oh, we know that Lonnie's not dead. He just passed through a place that was equated with death. He got squeezed through the tunnel. But he's in a better place. And, and I, just, uh, I just found it such a joy to be able to, to, to realize, and that was a, a fresh stamping of that in my own heart, that dying is a journey. It is not in itself. This valley of shadow is not where we stop. Death takes, us, death takes us near the reality, I'm sorry, dying takes us near the reality of death, but not, uh, not, into the, not into death, which is a separation from God, a separation from life itself. Someone has said, where there's a shadow, there must be light somewhere, and so there is. Death stands by the side of the road on, what, on which we travel. And the light of heaven shining beyond it throws a shadow across its path and across our path. Let us rejoice that there's a light beyond. Nobody's afraid of a shadow. Because there's no substance to it. The shadow of a dog cannot bite you. The shadow of a scorpion cannot sting you. The shadow of a sword cannot kill you. This is the absolute confidence that the sheep has in the shepherd. He's saying, yeah, even when I get squeezed into the most fearful, ominous place that I ever could be, I'm not afraid of anything because He's with me. That's where He comes to. Christ has made death powerless over us. He has destroyed its substance. That's what the Bible tells us over and over in the New Testament. The, in Hebrews 2 it says He had to share their, 
Because the subjects were flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So by his death, he may destroy him who holds the power of death, meaning the devil and, and so forth. So many places in the New Testament were told that. So, so this is a hopeful verse, even though it paints a, a, a gloomy and dark picture. The shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Now here it says, because uh, that when I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Who is with me? The shepherd is with the sheep. This is the sheep talking of the shepherd. And he says, I'm not going to fear. I have no fear of evil because this shepherd is with me. He's near me. It doesn't When it says no evil, it's not talking about ignorance of evil at all, but protection from evil. It's a powerful statement. It's saying, look, just because something's dangerous don't mean I have to be afraid of it. Come on. We all live life surrounded by danger. We operate power tools. We uh, fool around with electricity. We play with fire and chemicals. We fly airplanes. We uh, drive cars. All kinds of crazy things. I wonder we're not all dead. Because we, we deal with dangerous stuff. And while we have a healthy respect and even fear of the potential of many things, with knowledge, we lose the fear. We say, yeah, chainsaw's dangerous, but I'm not a bit afraid to run a chainsaw. Because I have knowledge. And not only that, I have some resources or I have some equipment. I look at these guys... I used to say that climb the. I started to say that climbs the electric poles and works on the line. I don't think they climb poles anymore. Now they're now they're they, pole climbers are now bucket sitters. But whatever, they go up there and they mess with these powerful lines filled with deadly electricity. And sometimes there's storms and and the lines break and they're hanging and blowing in the breeze. And these guys are, you know, bold and brave. And they go up there and they and they stare this. This electricity that could fry them. They stare it in the face and they stare it down and they fix it up. And we, they're, they're, they're heroes in many ways often. How can they be so confident? Well, they understand their subject. They know what they need to know about electricity. Secondly, they got insulated gloves and tools and, and, and all kinds of precautions to lessen the threat. So that together with their knowledge and their resources, they can say, this stuff would kill me in a heartbeat and I'm not the least bit afraid. Just because it's dangerous, he's saying, I don't fear evil. Evil is real, yes. Evil will take you down, yes. It is a real and present danger. I recognize it, but I'm not afraid of it. Why? Because there's somebody at my side and he is equipped to deal with it. And he, he helps me. His presence. In other words, if you go back to the sheep, my thought was this. The sheep is scared of the coyote or the wolf or the bear or the mountain lion. Sheep is petrified of them. But those things are petrified of the shepherd. So what does it matter if they're roaming around the shepherd is between the predator and the prey. The, pre the predator is afraid of the shepherd. So it don't matter whether the, anything about what the, whether the prey is afraid of the predator or not. 
Yes, the wolf can kill the sheep, but the shepherd would kill the wolf before he has the opportunity or has the chance. So it's a wash. The presence of the shepherd with me. You are with me. The bad news is the enemy is stronger than the sheep. The good news is the enemy is weaker than the shepherd. God will be with you when you enter the valley of the shadow of death. There's an old song I used to love to sing as a kid that said, I don't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died all my sins to atone. When the darkness I see, He'll be waiting for me. I don't have to cross Jordan alone. What a wonderful, what a powerful reality and thought that that is. To fear no evil in the valley of the shadow. That's the blessed privilege of every believer. And there's... there's uh, there's evidence of God's power in the, in, the, in, the, in the dark place. There are visible signs that let us know that He's going to take care of the wolf or the bear or the, or, or the predator, whatever it might be. And, and, and David calls him here, your rod and your staff. These are comforting symbols of knowing that if this predator shows up, my shepherd will take the rod and beat the tar out of it. That's what he'll do. You know, that's their technology, by the way. Today we would say, my shepherd carries an AK-47, and my shepherd has a, you know, a bulletproof vest on him, and he's got flashbang grenades, and he's got technology connecting satellites, and he can call an airstrike in on you in a, in a heartbeat. And besides that, he's got a helmet and a Humvee and whatever else. He's a walking arsenal, and he will find the enemy, or he will sense the enemy is here, and he will take him out. This is my bodyguard, and I, <laughs> I'm pretty relaxed because he just kind of keeps step with me, and he keeps he keeps watch over me, and and I can just pretty much dismiss the reality of the predator, of the evil one being able to destroy my life. Not gonna happen. I know he's there. I know he's on, on, on duty because I see his rod and staff. I can, I can see the signs. They comfort me. They comfort me. Look at this verse of Jesus kind of talking about the same thing. He's talking about himself as shepherd, John 10, and, and sheep. And this is what he says. Nobody can get my sheep. I'm on guard duty. I'm the shepherd. And nothing can snatch them out of my hand. Love that. It's a it's a kind of a repetition of of the of, of of what King David, the shepherd, is saying. Well, I think I, I want to close by saying that if in the face of the most grave enemy and the most feared enemy, and the actual enemy, because death is our enemy. The Bible says that. If in the face of that we can have such confidence, then certainly the same shepherd is with us in coronavirus, or bankruptcy, or marriage difficulties, or whatever other things that we fear as an enemy, that we fear might take us down, that we fear might destroy our life. If God 
is and his power are there to so great that we can look death in the face and we can say I'm not afraid then certainly then certainly that same thing applies to other uh, to other crises and other other fears that we have your bulletin says bulletin says special music well let me tell you what happened uh, life happened that's what happened and I realized last night that uh, <laughs> there is no uh, special music because I was going to try to line it up. I was going to uh, coerce, try to coerce somebody, and I didn't get a chance to get anybody coerced. <clears throat> this, uh, this song doesn't say... Uh, the shepherd is with me. What it says is he holds my hand. my Savior is able to guide from earth to glory land. Nothing can harm me when He's by my side. He holds me by the hand. He holds my holds my hand safely to heaven he leads the way he is my keeper from day to day oh he holds my hand Jesus holds my road may be long, but my Savior is strong, and He holds my hand. Someday on earth, I will breathe my last breath. In this life I must leave, walk into the valley of the shadow of death, but there's no need to grieve, because he will hold my hand. Jesus will hold my hand safely to heaven. He'll lead the way, guide me 
and guard me and near me stay. Oh, he will hold my hand. Jesus will hold my hand. The road may be long, but my Savior is strong, and he'll hold my hand. Hear the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, He also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. As we come forward this morning to receive the Lord's Supper, let us remember this is the body of Jesus broken for us. This is his blood spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. As a point of logistics, we're not going to dismiss anyone. You can just get up in your own time, come to the center, come down and uh, down the center and then on either side the bread and the cup, and then go back uh, to your seat from the side aisles. Uh, We at Otterbein do not limit communion to just members. If you are a part of the body of Christ, we welcome you to come forward and partake of the Lord's table. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for these symbols, the bread and the cup. We thank you for this time where we can come together, come before you and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins. We pray, Lord, in these few moments that we would take a moment to examine ourselves, repent, ask for forgiveness, but in all of it, Lord, do it, do, doing it in remembrance of you and what you have done for us. We praise you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
All right. And if you would stand to close, we are going to end on 211. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the mercy, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, rest upon us, protect us, even in this valley of the shadow, for His glory and honor, for our good and joy, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming today. May the Lord bless you.